All right, everyone, before we get into the wrestling talk, I want to thank our sponsors for this episode. That, of course, is Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities, such as host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and a lot more. I've just started using Podcorn myself, and I'm telling you, it is really user-friendly and a great way for you guys to get the podcast support that you really need as far as advertisers. So it's really awesome to get these sponsorship chances. And with Podcorn, there's no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and even collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. And you never give any rights up to your podcast either. And Podcorn is there to support you at every step and ensure that you are protected and compensated for the work that you do for the brands. The Marketplace mission is to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when we monetize. So make sure you guys click the link in my show notes, head over to podcorn.com to sign up and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today. Hey everyone, I just want to remind you to make sure you check out the awesome people over at Anchor.fm. Of course, it is a great place for you to host your own podcast. And guess what? One of the cool parts is that it's totally free. Yeah, that's right, free. There's even creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your computer or even your phone. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many others. Trust me, it's so easy. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. If you guys want to get in on it, make sure you download the free Anchor app or just simply go to anchor.fm to get started. This is Dalton Castle. Hello, everyone. This is Bill Apter. Hey, this is Christopher Daniels. Hello. Yes, this is Dan Housen saying to watch the Random Wrestling Podcast with OK Fabe. OK Fabe. Because you're listening to the Random Wrestling Podcast with OK Fabe. We're sure about that name, right? Yeah, I'm listening to OK Fabe. Ghost with the most on Fight TV, Fight Housing. Watch it. No swearing on the podcast. And now, OK Fabe presents the Random Wrestling Podcast. I have been waiting a long time to say these words, and I'm going to say them right here, right now, tonight. Your number one source for all pro wrestling talk with a comedy twist. Where the hell did Randy Orton come from? He snapped the metal punch in half. Hey, in the Miz, how you doing, man? Good to see you. All right, yeah, you wear your little thing. You're looking like a blind nun. All right, hey, do me a favor. Park the Rock's truck. What's going on, everybody? It's yours truly, Connor, a.k.a. Okay, Fabe here. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 111 of the Random Wrestling Podcast. Of course, all the latest in what's going down in the week of pro wrestling right here, of course, on Fight TV or wherever you guys are listening to us from as we are also on all major audio podcasting platforms. So make sure if you guys get a chance to listen to us over there, make sure you also give it an awesome five-star rating. And there's a lot to talk about this week in wrestling. Yes, we didn't have that many pay-per-views or other events in between over the course of the weekend, but there was still plenty of stuff to discuss. And trust me, we've got a ton of stuff to go over. But of course, you guys in the routine, you guys know the whole deal. I always love to hear what you guys have to say about all this. So let me know your thoughts, whether it be on social media, on our website, okfabe.com, or wherever you are watching or listening to us from. Love to hear your thoughts about this week's wrestling talk. And of course, there's a ton to go over, but let's kick things off. Let's not waste any more time. Smackdown coming at you from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Of course, we're talking about the one that took place on January the 31st. First, the fallout from the Royal Rumble. By the way, if you haven't listened to my Royal Rumble review, you can go back and either to watch the last episode of the podcast or check out the live stream that we did right after the pay-per-view over on my YouTube channel. But of course, we had Tulsa, Oklahoma hosting SmackDown this past Friday night, and there was a lot of interesting tidbits going off of the Royal Rumble. Now, again, we're going into Super Showdown at the end of February, and we'll be talking about that with both here and Monday Night Raw, but just keep that in mind because there's, there's some interesting stuff going into that pay-per-view. But first and foremost, we of course set up our main event. We of course had Roman Reigns and the Usos talk about how even though Roman was successful against King Corbin in the Falls Count Anywhere match, uh, didn't bode so well for the Royal Rumble. But that's okay because Corbin didn't win either, but Corbin not necessarily the, the, the most happy of people either, considering that, of course, not too long after, he comes out and, ch and chants blasphemy and, and cheater, and even though it was false count anywhere, and Dolph Ziggler and, and uh, Bobby Roode also got in, I'm sorry, Robert Roode also got involved. So, yeah, okay, that's, 
That's a little bit of a, of, a, of a cheat there, but hey, listen, listen, listen. At the end of the day, let's get this whole thing settled and, and, and done and be gotten with, and we actually set up our six-man tag team main event. It's Usos and Roman Reigns against Corbin Ziggler and Bobby Roode, but guess what? There is a special stipulation. Now, this is something that's been talked about for a while because it's been advertised for certain shows and people were, and rightfully so, fearful that this actually would happen, but yeah, the main event was that six-man tag, but the stipulation was that the loser eats dog food. <sighs> okay, I, I might as well skip ahead a little bit here and, and talk about this stipulation. Now, this is something that was been rumored for, for a long time, right? It's been rumored for like about a month or so ever since the Roman Reigns-Corbin thing came up. There were advertisements for either house shows or other shows that showed a loser eats dog food match. And we were all a little hesitant and worried, especially around the Royal Rumble time. Now, I'm not a big fan of this idea because it's, of course, very childish and, and, and just kind of an eye roll as far as the stipulation go. But you know what, though? Here's the thing. If this ends this rivalry, if this actually puts a kibosh to the whole thing, fine. Let's get the thing over and done with and let's just do the stupid match, do the stupid uh, the, the stipulation, let's just get this out of the way. I thought that things were done and settled with at the Rumble, but apparently not the case. But anyway, speaking of teams, we also had a pretty solid fatal four-way tag team match where the winners become the new number one contenders to the New Day's SmackDown tag team titles. Of course, we had Lucha House Party, we had The Revival, we had Heavy Machinery, Go Otis, and Miz and Morrison. Now, considering what's been going and, and transgressing on TV lately, it's really not too much of a shock and surprise that Miz and Morrison ended up becoming the victors here. Very solid tag team match. I would highly recommend going ahead and checking it out. But you kind of knew the story going into it. Miz and Morrison have been featured fighting the New Day the last couple of weeks. Morrison's return and, and actually Miz's you know, recent, or again, heel turn, have all been focused around Kofi and Big E. We can't really say that we're too surprised if anything, I'd be more surprised if, like, I don't know, The Revival or um, or even Heavy Machinery got a shot at the tag team titles. Now, presumably, it's going to be at Super Showdown, but nothing has been quite confirmed yet because, don't forget, Elimination Chamber is also a week. I can't believe I'm saying this. Elimination Chamber is a week after the Super Showdown show. And, again, we'll talk about that a little bit later on when we get done with Monday Night Raw. But anyway, what I also, but fear not, there wasn't a total loss. Like I said, it was a very solid tag team match, but the true blessing of the whole thing was the post-match interview. Of course, we see uh, Otis getting a chance to talk to Mandy Rose and asking her actually out on a date. Very cute moment. Of course, like Tucker kind of giving the encouragement and Sonya Deville kind of rolling her eyes. And Otis asks Mandy Rose out on a date. Finally, the culmination of this amazing build on SmackDown. And she says, no, she's busy this Friday, or next Friday, but, 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 she's actually free the Friday after next. So, hey, Otis ends up getting a date after all, but, but surprisingly enough, and, and I'm sure this has nothing to do with this creatively, the date will be on Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm, that's right. Valentine's Day, Otis gets his date with Mandy Rose, and he thinks this is going to be the beginning of the, the, of the transgression into maybe Mandy, like, utilizing Otis. I'm pretty sure that this is probably what's going to happen, and, and I'm not against this idea. I think Otis is a very, uh, very funny character, very entertaining, very uh, just all-around great guy. Uh, I just worry that we're going to get into a cliche pattern. But if it's handled the right way, it could work out to their benefit. In fact, I was even theorizing that maybe Mandy uses this to her advantage. Maybe not necessarily for a SmackDown Women's Championship match or opportunity, but rather for a tag team. Maybe Sonya Deville's the one who comes out and says, Hey, listen, Mandy, this guy's willing to do almost anything for you. He saved you in the Rumble twice. He's obviously clearly infatuated with you, and, and he's willing to help you out. Why not utilize that to our advantage? Listen, let's get the Kabuki Warriors. Let's go after those tag team titles. And so you have like Mandy basically play, being the pawn, Sonya being the, the 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 pusher of, hey, let's get Otis on our side to get him tag team title opportunities. Just saying, I, I wouldn't mind that versus a singles run. Adding Sonya to the mix could make things very interesting, and you don't have to make it romantic. Like I said, you could just have Sonya saying, listen, we we should get those tag team titles. It's not like they're doing anything with the tag team titles right now anyway, you know what I mean? Why not go that route? I would much rather be more interested in that and have it be a little bit of a twist and turn that way than having just a straight up singles thing with Mandy and Otis and then maybe Mandy turning on Otis and being a jerk the whole time. And granted, not the first time we've seen Mandy do that. Remember, she did it with the Usos a while back, but I still think that doing it with the women's tag team titles intertwines it very well. And at the end of the, and again, 
it does something for the freaking women's tag team titles. You know what I mean? So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. But speaking of which, we did see, unfortunately, Rose and DeVille uh, lose to Nikki uh, Cross and Alexa Bliss in tag team action. And again, if you're teaming up Mandy Rose and Sonya DeVille so much, you might as well do it this way. Put them in the situation for the tag team titles. I mean, granted, Bliss and, and DeVille, or excuse me, Bliss and um, Nikki Cross have not really been doing much either, but have them get a major victory over them, thanks to Otis's help, and then just have everything go from there. Just saying, it makes sense to me. But speaking of championships, a huge one took place as we were crowned a new Intercontinental Champion. Braun Strowman, for the first time in his career, capturing a singles championship, defeating Shinsuke Nakamura this past Friday on SmackDown. And I gotta tell you, I am elated. Now, I, I am of the opinion, and I'm sure you guys are probably thinking the same thing. If not, let me know your thoughts. But I feel like they definitely missed a lot of great opportunities with Braun Strowman in the Universal and or WWE Championship picture. Braun Strowman was red hot as a top heel or even a babyface in some cases, and they could have done so much with him as far as, you know, either challenging Lesnar or even Roman, and, and it's not like the guy couldn't go. So I think that although it's the Intercontinental Championship, I'm very happy that Braun Strowman has his first singles title. And of course, this begs the question, where do we go from here? Where can we go with this? Now, I feel bad because on one hand, Nakamura is an amazing talent, uh, but unfortunately, I feel has also been underutilized. And the Intercontinental Championship is one of the most prestigious uh, championships in WWE history. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, and again, you guys can let me know if I'm wrong, it is the longest championship in existence. Yeah, it actually predates the WWE Championship, but that's not the point. The point is, you have a, a great wrestler and a great championship, and while it's great that Strowman won this, I felt it was a little underwhelming in some cases because you could have done so much more with this. And again, it's not like you haven't been really doing a whole lot with Nakamura. Heck, I actually had to go back and look and see when the last time Nakamura defended the Intercontinental title. I'm pretty sure it was TLC as far as last major shows go, which was back in December. And even then, it was just a random, like, oh, by the way, match. Uh, it, it, he hasn't even defending it on SmackDown as far as I know. Granted, he's gotten the new belt and everything, but again, just really didn't do a whole lot. Now, it didn't take long, of course, for his cohorts like Sami Zayn and Cesaro to start instantly complaining about this. Of course, it didn't take long for Elias to make the response and, of course, starts messing with Sami Zayn while he's trying to actually speak in the middle of the ring. And Elias decides to, of course, you know, interrupt with his amazing vocal skills. And if you haven't walked with Elias, you really ought to. But it, of course, leads to a brawl between Elias and Cesaro, which, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm kind of digging. I know, I know I said it was very on the fence about the idea of Elias being a babyface, and I still sort of am. He's still entertaining as all hell. I'm not, gonna, I'm not questioning that. I just think that it was confusing that he just seemed like randomly as a babyface. But hey, if it means we get a chance for Cesaro, another person who I feel like is extremely underutilized to be involved in some sort of program, then listen, more power to them. Let's put them out there. Let's, ha let's have them have some, some good matches. Elias is capable of having very good matches. Obviously, Cesaro is too. So I kind of dig it. I'm looking forward to it. I want to see them go at it, hopefully, next week on SmackDown. Uh, speaking of a quick matchup and a rematch or match we haven't seen before. Actually, we definitely have seen this match before. Sheamus defeating Shorty G. Chad Gable. I got to stop calling him Shorty G. He is Chad freaking Gable. He beats Gable in a match that was not a squash match, wasn't in like a quick like rando match, and honestly, in my opinion, was the best match they've had since they've had their encounters between both SmackDown and the Rumble. I definitely think Sheamus and Chad Gable have had some pretty eh, okay matches, but this one's probably the best one they've done so far. Uh, you can definitely tell, obviously, Sheamus got the victory here, which I'm kind of still... Uh, still a little concerned about. Sheamus looked great. Sure, uh, Chad Gable looked eh, okay in the long run. But I feel like, they, again, like a majority of the roster on SmackDown, there's so much more they could be doing. Honestly, and I'm going to throw this out there. This might be a bit of a rando thing. But considering the, the state of the Intercontinental Championship and considering that you kind of already have an idea of where things are going to go with the Universal title and Bray Wyatt, I say, why don't we have one of the Elimination Chamber matches this year be for the Intercontinental title? Put in the guys that you don't have a whole lot going on right now. And honestly, you can easily center this around a bunch of them. You, and easily enough, you have your six right there that I just mentioned. You do Braun Strowman, Shinsuke Nakamura, Cesaro, Elias, uh, Chad Gable, and Sheamus. 
Six guys who could kill it inside an elimination chamber for that Intercontinental Championship. Maybe I'm just being a little delusional. It's not the first time we've seen the Elimination Chamber defended inside, uh, excuse me, the Intercontinental title defended inside the Elimination Chamber. Not the first time that's happened. If we already kind of know where things are going to go with the Universal title, then do it up. It would certainly be more believable than having, say, a number one contender's Elimination Chamber match. Just throwing that out there. I think an IC title in Elimination Chamber match this year with those six, personally, I think would fit a lot better. But maybe that's just me. Let me know what you all think. Women's division, of course, got an interesting little shakeup as, as we saw Bailey, of course, boasting about her victory over Lacey Evans at the Rumble. But it was not very long after until, of course, Naomi decided to pop in when we felt the glow as Naomi mentioned to Bailey and to the audience that, hey, you haven't beaten me yet. Former SmackDown Women's Champion had a little bit of an interview brawl with the current champion, of course, clearing the ring and setting up a potential rivalry in the future. Now, Women's wrestling is a very interesting topic right now, and the reason I say that is because, well, the women's division is kind of going in a weird direction. With, with SmackDown in particular, and I might have mentioned this before, and I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here, but there really isn't a whole lot of high-profile stuff going on, right? And the biggest, the biggest concern I have is building star power, Okay. Having women's divisions in every major brand, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and even NXT UK, is all well and dandy. Uh, and it's a great concept. But with any division, and it's not just a matter of the women or the men. I say, I'm saying the same thing about uh, the US title right now on, on Raw, or we will when we get to it. Any division, doesn't matter what it is, don't care what it is, any division is only as good as the participants in that division. If you don't have depth in the division, if you don't have enough, uh, if you don't have enough people in there that you can create an interest in the division, it's gonna crumble. It's one of the reasons why right now I feel that the AEW women's division is not that great right now. And again, they're building it. The NXT women's division I was a little worried about, but now I'm starting to care because there's enough depth in the division and enough uh, star power that I can recognize, okay, there are characters here, there are reasons why I should be invested in these women. Unfortunately, the main rosters, both Raw and SmackDown, don't have a whole lot of depth in them. I mean, we'll talk about this when we get to the Raw Women's Championship in a little bit later on, but when you have your high-profile match for WrestleMania for your premier brand on Raw, having to call up somebody from the main from NXT is a little concerning. Heck, Charlotte won the Women's uh, Royal Rumble, and she's supposedly, rumor, going to NXT. So you, it's hard to create that, like, I don't want to say dream match scenario, but it's kind of close to that. It's hard to do that because, let's face it, at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure we all know where things are going as far as the Mania's women's division. Now, again, they could change things up very easily and very drastically, and people could get injured and, and things could change. But I think it's safe to assume that for the SmackDown side, unless she doesn't get cleared for whatever reason, it's gonna be Sasha and Bailey at WrestleMania. The two women who are the best of friends, you could play up Sasha's uh, return network footage where Bailey came in and, and, and assisted her and helped her come back in after her her trials and tribulations, uh, best friends battling it out for the SmackDown Women's Championship on the grandest stage of them all. They showcase their NXT TakeOver Classic. But then what? Then what? I'm not saying Bayley is a bad women's champion, but it's hard for me to get invested into it when you don't have many credible challengers to take the title from her. And it's no disrespect to Naomi or Lacey Evans. Naomi's a former SmackDown Women's Champion. Lacey Evans has been pushed to the moon. But you can't, I, I, I don't see them as a big time match. I don't. If you created a scenario where I wouldn't be more invested, yeah, it would be a big time match. But I just don't see it. And, and, and unfortunately, that, I hope, gets rectified after, I'm assuming they're doing another superstar shakeup after WrestleMania. I don't know that. But the biggest concern is, and again, it's not, I'm picking, I, it feels like I'm picking on the women, but it's with any division. Tag team, US, Intercontinental. 
Give me a reason to care why these two should have a match. At least with Naomi, there's some reason behind it because she's coming back from being gone for so long. Out of sight, out of mind, absence makes the heart grow fonder. But in general, the SmackDown women's division specifically, I don't really have much of a vested interest as far as other big-time matches. The only other big-time match I'm interested in is Sasha and Bayley. That's it. But anyway, enough about my little gripe. Let's come back to the main event. So the, the six-man tag, of course, goes the babyface's way. Reigns and the Usos defeat Ziggler, or sorry, <clears throat> Ziggles, Bobby Roode, and of course, Baron Corbin. Uh, Ziggles and Roode exit the, uh, exit the match. Of course, Corbin gets uh, handcuffed, and of course, dog food poured all over him as the Usos and Roman Reigns pose uh, respectively over the dog ri food ridden uh, body of Baron Corbin. And listen, I know a lot of people are like, man, this is atrocious, man, this is horrible, and you do a massive eye roll. Yes, it's understandably so. You know, this is, this is Fox programming at its finest, folks. But let's face it, this was basically the main thing that was going on on SmackDown other than the Universal Championship. We know that The Fiend is returning next week on SmackDown, and honestly, I don't really see any other, uh, any other direction other than Roman and, and Bray Wyatt. But that being said... As, as long as this is it, you cannot tell me there is any other reason why we need to continue on with Reigns and Corbin following this promo or following this stipulation. This is it. Over and done with. Move on. Please. Please. And maybe that's just me, though. I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Now, granted, the retirement of this recording, SmackDown for this week has not happened yet or this past SmackDown. However, one big announcement that I did want to kind of tease and talk to you guys about was Goldberg. Yeah, Goldberg actually showing up on SmackDown. They announced on Raw this past Monday, seemingly out of left field, that Goldberg was making his return to SmackDown and wondering who's next. Well, Saudi Arabia is probably next. Now, I can't really confirm, obviously. There's been no real rhyme or reason to it, but we're safe to assume that Goldberg's appearance on SmackDown will most likely be to challenge somebody for a match at Saudi Super Showdown. Say that three times fast. Sweet Saudi Super Showdown. <sighs> Listen, last time we saw Goldberg in, in, in Saudi Arabia, it didn't bode too well. Uh, however, Goldberg's match, uh, match against Ziggler at SummerSlam was actually not too shabby. So maybe Ziggles again? I mean, considering Ziggler's already wrapped up presumably with this whole Roman Reigns thing, maybe put him into this situation. I don't know. Maybe that's just the best. I think that might be the best case scenario because if you really want to focus and showcase Goldberg's uh, true abilities, this might be the way to do so. So let the speculation begin. But of course, by the time this airs, we'll already know who his opponent is. But let me know what you guys think. Are you guys looking forward to that? Or are you not? Goldberg coming back. Are you excited? Not. Let me know your thoughts. I'd love to hear all about them. But let's talk about Monday Night Raw. Now, Monday Night Raw coming at you from Salt Lake City, Utah, had a lot going into it. We had the rematch between Liv and Lana. We had, of course, Randy Orton explaining his actions against Edge. And speaking of Super Showdown, a triple threat main event where it's Bobby Lashley, Ricochet, and Seth Rollins, where the winner would go and challenge the beast himself, Brock Lesnar, to a WWE Championship match. Now, first and foremost, I have to stress right here, right now, this part I'm about to talk about was, in my opinion, the highlight of Monday Night Raw. If you did not watch Monday Night Raw, if you wanted to watch any segment from the show, I'm not talking match, segment or moment, interview, whatever you want to call it, this is the one to watch. Randy Orton coming out to beautiful heel heat as he does, being booed vigorously to the point where Orton barely says a word. They milked the thing for, I believe it was like 15 minutes. I'm checking my notes here. I'm pretty sure it was about 15 minutes. It was kind of crazy how much time they gave Randy Orton to do all this. So of course, Orton milks the whole crowd and then just simply says the phrase, I can't do this, and then drops the mic and walks away. Genius, absolute genius. Now it's funny to me that I come out here almost every week and I talk about everything in wrestling, right? And creative and, and all that. And, and, and my biggest criticisms are always towards creative. Why couldn't you do this? Why couldn't you do that? This doesn't make sense, blah, 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 blah. And I know I'm not the only one doing this, okay? I know there's tons of other people that do this, tons of other podcasts, tons of other shows, right? And I've heard a lot of times that WWE's creative is garbage, that it stinks, it's miserable. 
when I tell you that I don't like something, I'm giving you my own personal opinion on it. And of course, this is all subjective, right? Um, and generally speaking, I don't think W's Creative is as good as it once was. However, I will argue with you that this is probably the best thing they have going on Raw right now. And it's funny to me that a company that does a dog food match and a match that makes you roll your eyes or things that just make you go like, why are they still doing this? Or why is it this? Can put together an amazing rivalry and be so subtle about it and, and do very little things with it. Orton didn't say a word. He didn't say a word until the very end where he said, he can't do this. The Edge moment last week on Raw, I will stand by, is one of the best endings that Raw has done in a long time. And I was worried that they were going to somehow overpump this and overdo this. But truth be told, they have done an excellent job thus far, and this is probably the most intrigued storyline I, I, I'm most invested in at the moment. No titles. I'll get to Drew McIntyre a little bit later on, but generally speaking, it just blows my mind that the same company can do something like a dog food match and then also put out something as incredible as this. Just saying, it's very strange to me. But speaking of strange, we had, I'm assuming, the end of the rivalry between Liv Morgan and Lana. I don't know that for sure. Um, but considering we had a very quick match between the two almost immediately after this, it seemed to be going that direction. Morgan gets the victory over Lana in a very quick, fairly quick match. However, it was what happened afterwards that everyone was talking about. Ruby Riot, who had been out of action for months, came to the return of Liv Morgan, and of course hugged, and well, actually I don't think she even hugged, came to seem to be supportive of her former Riot Squad member, only to kick the crap out of her. Lana then com comes around, does her own little sneak attack as well, and there you have it. And truth be told, I think this is also another very well-written segment. Listen, you're not going to get an epic 15-minute classic out of Lana and Liv Morgan. And it's not disrespect to either one of them. It's just you're not going to get that type of match. I think that Ruby coming out gives the continuation of that rivalry, or rather the continuation of what they're going to do with Liv Morgan. And Lana gets her own little you know, exclamation point on the whole thing. We didn't see Rusev whatsoever in this entire uh, show this evening. So I'm assuming, safe to assume, that we're done here. I mean, Lashley obviously shows up later, but like I think it's safe to say things are done. Please tell me things are done with this at this point. Liv Morgan's moving on to Ruby Riot. Like, just drop this now, please. Please, let's just drop this now. Um, glad to see Ruby back. I was worried about her. She'd been out for action for a long time. There was no timetable on her return, so I was a little worried, but glad to see her back. Um, funny enough, with Sarah Logan also being on Raw, does this mean that the entire Riot Squad's now on Raw again? But, hey, that, that's fine. If we get Ruby versus Liv, there's more of an investment in that. They could do more with that. Uh, good, good call. Very good call. Speaking of good calls, Drew McIntyre, everyone's favorite Scottish winning Royal Rumble winner. Yeah, I know what I said. Came out and had a relatively quick match with the 24-7 champion Mojo Rawley. I'm really, I know a lot of people are kind of like, oh, Drew McIntyre is another squash match. I don't see it that way. What I've been particularly enjoying, and I, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the last show, but one thing I've been particularly enjoying about the way they've been presenting McIntyre lately is authentic. I watched him on The Bump this week, uh, the weekly WWE show that they do when they bring in guests and whatnot. And I think that one thing I have to say that is very, very, uh, that I enjoy about seeing McIntyre is the genuine feel of the authenticity of who he is. You feel like that's actually him. I mean, I don't mind him as a heel. I think he does a pretty good job as a heel, but you could tell it's a little forced. He's more relaxed now. He's more confident in himself and I'm enjoying this version of McIntyre. There is a bit of shade, though, when you see, when you see him on WWE programming. It's kind of sort of like what he was in Impact, but I'm not complaining. I think that this is exactly what we need going into WrestleMania, and we'll probably get more of this after Super Showdown, which we'll talk about a little bit later on, but hey, if it means getting more of a chance to get, like, getting, getting to know McIntyre and making, showcasing why he's a force to be uh, reckoned with with Brock Lesnar, 
I am all for it. We also had ourselves a very interesting match, uh, six-man tag team elimination. It was Kevin Owens and the Viking Raiders against the Authors of Pain and Buddy Murphy. Now, of course, all sorts of shenanigans ensued, including, I believe, two commercial breaks in this matchup. And it was an okay match. Uh, surprisingly, Razar was actually, if I'm not mistaken, let me just check my notes here. Uh, yeah, Razar was actually the last one standing, which was very interesting. The uh, Viking Raiders actually getting eliminated first, then Kevin Owens taking out Buddy Murphy and then Akam, but Razar coming in with a victory at the very, very end. Uh, clever idea. I kind of thought it was a very clever way to kind of still keep the rivalry going, uh, considering that it's probably going to end up, you know, continuing on. And I'm going to throw this out idea for another one as well, and, and hear me out here. I pitched earlier in the in the podcast an intercontinental elimination chamber match because it's different. It hasn't been done before, right? Why not do that with um, these guys? Why not have? a War Games-esque style elimination chamber match. Now hear me out. If those of you who are fans of the video games, if you played the old WWE SmackDown versus Raw video games from like a decade ago, or even, I think they might have done this in more recent ones, but anyway, there were options that you could have for types of elimination chamber matches. And one of them was three on three. Figure there's six guys in the match, might as well do it. Why not do it with Owens, Authors of Pain, the Viking Raiders, uh, and either Rollins or Buddy Murphy? I would prefer Rollins, obviously, but, you know, why not do it that way? It gives them a chance to be super over. You could even throw the tag team titles on the line if you really wanted to to make things really interesting and say, okay, if, if they win, then the Viking Raiders get the tag team titles back and have a War Games-esque style match. I mean... You might as well. I mean, heck, we've had a tag team elimination chamber match before. Why not make it a little bit different? And the only reason I'm saying that is I know people are like, oh, man, that'd be a crappy elimination chamber match. I don't know. I don't know if it would be. Listen, Authors of Pain and Viking Raiders have had pretty good matches in war games, and I'm not saying this is war games, but, I mean, it could be fun, especially where it's elimination style. Just saying, that idea popped in my head. Maybe I'm going crazy from watching too much wrestling, but maybe not. Love to hear what you guys have to say about this. What if we did a Owens and Authors of, uh, excuse me, Owens and Viking Raiders against Authors of Pains and Seth Rollins Elimination Chamber match? A six-man tag team Elimination Chamber match? Could be different. Could be fun. We've got Aleister Black defeating Eric Young in singles action. And this one's more of a head-scratching situation because it makes me wonder, like, what are they going to do here with, with Aleister Black? Are they stalling? Are they just trying to have him go through these matches to kind of, you know, get him ready for something? I kind of am hoping that he goes after the U.S. title, but, you know, hey, at least they're keeping him, you know, like the Sheamus project on SmackDown, relatively important and still keeping him going. We see Humberto Carrillo about to have a matchup when he's actually interrupted by Zelina Vega and her newest acquisition, I guess? Angel Garza, which I didn't know legitimately until this moment, they are cousins. Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo are cousins, and of course they have like a nice introduction of Angel going back and forth for a little bit. Um, I kind of wish the timing was a little bit better because, of course, we kind of all know why uh, Angel Garza is out there instead of Andrade because of the unfortunate wellness policy violation. However, uh, they quickly brawl. It looks like that uh, Humberto is actually about to be DDT'd on the concrete, very similar to how uh, Humberto did it to Andrade, but of course the, the save is made by one Rey Mysterio. Now, Rey actually has an impromptu match with Angel Garza on Raw, and it actually is a pretty solid one, but ultimately does end in disqualification as Rey gets DDT'd on the concrete. I swear, that concrete's getting more TV time than some other people on the show, but either way, it's a weird situation, but I kind of dig it. You know, with Andrade unfortunately being out for 30 days and them deciding to keep the U.S. title on him, which, eh, mixed feelings about that one, it's, it's understandable that they want to have the feud still going. I think it's smart to have Zelina Vega paired with, um, uh, with um, Angel Garza. I think that's a smart move. And... It's just a weird situation because with Mysterio being involved and then you have all these other different factors, but it still could be fun. I think Mysterio adding to it would be, would, is definitely a, 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 certainly a plus, uh, but it's still just a lot of confusing moving parts. And again, 
with Brock not being on TV all every single time and you have no U.S. champion for a while, kind of makes me wonder what they're going to do as far as their, pro, you know, the programming. But hey, Garza, Humberto, and Rey Mysterio, psh, they're going to put on some killer matches, you know what I mean? We see Charlotte, of course, coming out to make a little bit of an announcement as far as who she is facing at WrestleMania when she is actually interrupted by the NXT Women's Champion Rhea Ripley. And yes, they actually decided to go back and are now calling it the NXT Women's Championship again, so good thing on that. Of course, we didn't hear a direct answer from Charlotte, but we do know that the Queen will end up showing up on NXT later on in the week, so we'll talk about that a little bit later on. We see Asuka defeating Natalya in a very awesome singles matchup for the two women. Wish it was built up a little bit better, but hey, beggars can't be choosers. Very solid match, but it doesn't take long for Asuka after, her defe after defeating Natalya to challenge Becky Lynch to a rematch, to which the man absolutely agrees. So next week on Monday Night Raw, we're actually going to get a rematch. It's Asuka versus Becky Lynch. Now, again, going back to the whole thing I was mentioning before about the women's division, there's not really any major players for Becky Lynch. I mean, I, I kind of talked about this with the Charlotte winning the Women's Rumble. It's not that I'm against the idea of Charlotte women, winning the Women's Rumble. It's just, who's she going to face? She's already fought Bailey. She's already fought Becky. You kind of have to go the NXT route. And again, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But the only really big-time match that I think anybody can see for Becky's sake is Shayna Baszler, and that's been something that's been rumored for a while and may probably come to fruition next week on Raw. In fact, I'll throw it out there as a prediction that I think that Shayna Baszler will attack Becky Lynch after her title match, or at least show up after her title uh, victory uh, next week on Raw over Asuka. Just seems the way they're going to be going with it, you know? Um, but maybe that's just me. Love to hear your thoughts on it, too. But... Uh, the main event we actually saw was a crazy match in and of itself. We saw, of course, Ricochet, Bobby Lashley, and Seth Rollins. The winner would face Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship at Sweet Saudi Super Showdown. Uh, of course, we had shenanigans from Kevin Owens and, uh, and of course, the entire, I don't even know what they call it, the Monday Night Messiah, uh, with Authors of Pain and everybody involved getting Rollins out of the match and Ricochet capitalizing, getting the victory and pinfall over Bobby Lashley. However, it didn't take very long for the Beast himself to show up delivering a beautifully executed F5 to Ricochet, reminding everybody that, hey, he's part-time, but he still works here, with Brock Lesnar, of course, leaving out on top. Now, I mentioned this on social media that I'm not really surprised that Ricochet gets the, gets the victory here, and I know that uh, a lot of people are kind of eye-rolling at the idea of, of Ricochet getting the championship match. You have to understand, though, that and I, I feel bad because on, on one hand, we really don't see this anymore. And this, this is going a little bit to like the build into WrestleMania. So I think generally speaking, with the exception of maybe a couple of years here and there, in the last like 10 years, by the time the Royal Rumble is done, we pretty much know what the main matches are going to be at Mania. We know there's probably not going to be any major championship changes, and WrestleMania's card is pretty much locked in at that point, right? And I feel bad because it's, I don't know if it's because of the day and the age of the internet or what it is, but it just stinks that there's not a whole lot of, like, hype going into it, you know? I, I feel like, okay, we have Ricochet versus Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. Does anybody watching or listening to this right now honestly in their heart of hearts, believe that Ricochet is going to win the championship? No, probably not. And it sucks because Ricochet is very good at what he does. And I would like to see Ricochet actually have a believable shot at the championship. You know? The, the big fight feel and the unpredictable nature of wrestling is really missing here. And I, again, internet day and age of, of us talking about all sorts of things, but it just stinks. I, I just wish that, you know, I mean, I'll give you a case in point. Uh, 2001, right? 2001 was an interesting year. I, I, just, did, I just did a review on it uh, for some pay-per-views for Patreon. But 2001 saw Stone Cold Steve Austin winning the Royal Rumble and The Rock defeating Kurt Angle for the WWE Championship the next month. In one match... The main event of WrestleMania changed dramatically from Austin versus Angle to Austin versus Rock 2. 
Go back even, uh, even recently, 2010, Sheamus was the WWE Champion, and he lost the title to John Cena with Batista sneaking in and winning the championship from him that same night. In one night, the main event scene of WrestleMania changed instantly. Now, by the time we get done with the Royal Rumble, it's like we kind of already see where things are going. Brock versus Drew McIntyre has been announced for WrestleMania. And while, yes, Brock could lose the championship at Super Showdown, and it could be Drew versus Ricochet, do any of us truly believe that WWE will pencil in the biggest stage of them all, and arguably, from what I'm hearing, the actual main event of WrestleMania of Ricochet versus Drew McIntyre? And it's not to discredit either of those men. I think Ricochet will eventually be champion at some point. I don't think there's any question about that. But right now, come on. It's just, it's just a bummer in general. Uh, I thought Raw was pretty solid this week, honestly. I think that there were a lot of things that were the building blocks going into WrestleMania, and I think that they were planting the right seeds. Of course, the Orton segment was my favorite. The triple threat was fun. The matches were interesting, and there was enough there that made me enjoy the show overall. But that's just me. Of course, I want to hear what you guys have to say, so let me know your thoughts. Hit me up on social media. Now, before we get into the swing of things with NWA Power, I want to remind you guys about our website, okfabe.com. If you guys haven't checked out the website, it is a great place where you guys can get all the latest up-to-dates on everything that yours truly is doing on a continual basis. You get all the episodes of the Random Wrestling Podcast, plus Wrestling Retrospective, which is the podcast I do with myself and my good friend Jake DeMarco, where, of course, we chronicle and go in-depth into the career of some of your favorite wrestlers. I mean, this month alone, we're doing Bruno San Martino, and we even get a cameo for from one legendary Mr. Bill Apter. Who are we going to do next time? Well, you have to tune in and find out. Check it out. You can also check out my blog posts on everything that's going on in wrestling and general discussions, plus WWE Network reviews, and my good friend Mr. Heel Steven with his show, Around the Point, if you guys want a different perspective of pro wrestling. So check it out, okfabe.com, where you can get all your pro wrestling news and needs. But now, that being said, let's switch over to NWA Power. Now, of course, we had a lot of fallout from hard times last week, and this week was a little bit more match-heavy. We didn't have a chance to actually see the NWA World's Champion, the National Treasure Nick Aldis, in action, but of course, he did remind us of the interesting proposal that he gave to Marty Skrull last week, which I'm very curious to see where that's going to go, and I'm looking forward to the Crockett Cup. That being said, we actually saw Tim Storm doing an interview at the very beginning of the show saying how there was some rumor and speculation that maybe he's hung up his boots, you know? He can't challenge for the NWA World's title anymore. He obviously, unfortunately, fell short at the tournament at hard times for the TV title, but he is here to let him know that he is here to make Mama Storm proud, and he is not going to retire. Of course, Thomas Latmer coming in and uh, having a confrontation with him, and unfortunately, it didn't end too well as we found out that, well... Unfortunately, there was somebody impersonating Mama Storm. Yeah, when we were announced, or rather they announced that Mama Storm was in the building, we thought we actually got to see the Great One herself, but Mama Storm actually was, it was not the real her. She was an imposter, and that did not make Tim Storm too happy. Uh, now, here's the thing I want to just mention about Tim Storm. I really like Tim Storm, and I love what they're doing with him in NWA. And, you know... You think with a guy who has lost the, the chance to challenge for a world title, right? He can no longer challenge for the world championship. He lost the TV title match. Um, but the, the, I could not honestly tell you right now of a more all-natural babyface. I think Tim Storm is probably the best babyface right now, natural feeling baby face uh, in NWA. And that's just my opinion, obviously. But I, I, I when you go back and watch, and I, I really recommend you go and watch the promo on him uh, that he did, uh, even before like Thomas Ladmer and, and uh, the Mama Storm thing. But like the Mama Storm promo, I'm gonna make Mama Storm proud. Like there's just, there's something about his genuine authenticity of being a very good human being. And we've seen it in the 10 Pounds of Gold series. But it's just so authentic, and it's just so tangible. I can't really describe it any other way, but it, to me, it makes him the best babyface in the entire company. And it's, it's, just, it's just stunning because, especially in some of the bigger companies, you wouldn't see that. You wouldn't see a top guy who can no longer challenge for a major championship, a guy who has that kind of stipulation on him, uh, be utilized and still be so over. 
And he is, and I'm very happy he is, because, hey, he's doing Mama Storm proud. We saw some awesome action as we saw Matt Cross defeating Cal uh, Caleb Conley in singles action. Great to see Matt Cross coming off of that TV title tournament. Uh, an interesting scenario, and I have to give some personal love on this next uh, tidbit. Uh, we saw the Dawsons, of course, with the Pope himself uh, making comments towards Eddie Kingston, and more specifically Homicide, to which Kingston comes out and delivers one of the best promos of the entire show, defending Homicide, and you can just feel that emotion and that animosity right through the screen. Amazing. Kingston is one of the best promo talkers on NWA roster. Talking about how Homicide has done so much for him. He made New York, and I, I don't want to spoil it. You have to watch it for yourself. Now, Kingston says he's, he has friends. Not too many, but, you know, let's, we're going we're gonna to settle this. But he did bring some friends with him. The Bouncers. That's right. We've got, of course, the Beer City Bruiser and Brian Malonez in action as they were there and helped clear the ring of the Dawsons and the Pope, with Pope having a beautiful, uh, concerned look on his face. I'm uh, going to give love to Brian Malonis, of course, a local here. We've interviewed him on the show before. Really great to see him uh, not only making his success in ROH, but also to see him in the NWA. It's really cool for me to see one of my favorite people in the business in one of my favorite promotions in the business. So get on ya. Love to see where this is going to go. Uh, the Dawsons and the Bouncers are going to be a, quite a... Uh, Man, you talk about like a powerhouse match. Whew, that's going to be some fun. Of course, we saw a one of two NWA World, uh, excuse me, NWA Championship matches uh, on the first one. We saw Shooter Stevens, the third degree. Remember, get it right. The third degree master of the national championship or third degree national champion. Shooter Stevens successfully defended his title against Trevor Murdoch as he went to a time limit draw. Now, I kind of dug this for a bunch of reasons because number one, uh, Trevor Murdoch is one of my another one of my favorites in NWA currently. And to still see him challenging for that national championship is great. I think it's only a matter of time before uh, Trevor Murdoch gets himself a hold of some singles gold in NWA. Uh, but this also does great because it makes Trevor look great. It makes Shooter Stevens look even better. Question mark, of course, on his, on his uh, corner. Looking forward to that. Really looking awesome to that. And I, I'm curious if they're going to keep going with this. It was a great matchup. Uh, I think the time limit draw is also something that is not utilized enough, especially on the bigger stages. But with NWA... I think it's a great storytelling technique. Uh, we kind of mentioned it with the Lucky 7 idea with a TV title, but even better here. So I love that. I love that they're going to keep on going with that. Speaking of teams, we've of course got, Jos uh, we've got Josephus and Mims taking on the new NWA World Tag Team Champions, James Storm and Mr. <clears throat> Eli Drake. I can't do it as good as him, but you get the idea. Storm and Drake, non-title victory over Josephus and Mims in tag team action. Great to see the new tag team champions in action. Great to see Josephus. Haven't seen him in a long time. I wonder what he's been up to. And of course, in the epic main event, a beautiful women's matchup for the NWA uh, Women's Championship as we saw Allison Kay taking on the new champion, Thunder Rosa, in a rematch from Hard Times. Of course, it was still continuing to be Hard Times for Allison Kay as she unfortunately did lose to Thunder Rosa, standing with Marty Bell and of course Melina uh, on stage and her victory. Uh, Thunder Rosa is over like Rover, man. I am very happy. That was a great matchup. Uh, still very solid action. Almost as good as the Hard Times match, in my opinion. Very hard to judge the two uh, together, but still a great treat in and of itself. Killing it over there in NWA. Looking forward to all the successes they have. And speaking of cool things, if you guys haven't checked it out, make sure you also check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash okfabe. You get all sorts of cool bonus goodies for as little as a dollar a month. You get early access to the Random Wrestling Podcast before everybody else has a chance to check it out. Plus, I do monthly Q&As. We also do early access to the Wrestling Retrospective, that series I mentioned earlier. And on top of that, you also get some exclusive stuff that you won't get anywhere else. Last month, I did a tidbit on the Seth Rollins heel turn and did a review of the 1999 Royal Rumble. And this month for February, I'm doing the Elimination Chamber 2010 pay-per-view and also a tidbit on Shinsuke Nakamura. So you want access to some cool stuff and stuff you won't get anywhere else and support the show at the same time, head over to patreon.com slash okfabe. Check it out. Now, let's talk about NXT this week. So NXT, NXT TakeOver Portland is not that far away. It's funny, when I was making my notes about this, of course, uh, a lot of this is building up to NXT TakeOver Portland, but surprisingly, I didn't realize how close Portland was. I didn't, like, not physically, of course. I am on the other side of the country. But NXT TakeOver Portland taking place on February the 16th. It is going to be epic. For the first time in my knowledge, six matches have been announced for Portland, but we'll get to those a little bit later on. But we start off with an epic entrance of NXT uh, with the new winners of the Dusty Tag Team Classic, the Broserweights. 
coming out in a golf cart complete with sparklers. Of course, the Broserweights were making claim about how they're going to be the new tag team champions taking down the Undisputed Era. And well, that didn't bode too well with Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly. Of course, they were about to go out there and charge them as they don't even consider them an actual team. But Roderick Strong, cooler heads prevail, actually to stop them and says, hey, we got bigger fish to fry. And I got to admit, it was kind of funny to see Matt Rill saying uh, how much fish could a uh, Bobby Fish fry if fish could fry, 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 fish fry. How much fish could fish fry if a fry fish could fry? Anyway, you got to watch the whole thing. It was, it was kind of a cute moment. And not the last time we'll see the broserweights either. By the way, I love how Matt Riddle is like so, like so super chill and just funny. And then Pete Dunn is just like completely like no selling anything. Very funny. Little, little things like that just crack me up. Angel Garza, coming off of his very successful debut on Monday Night Raw this past Monday, has a very awesome match with Isaiah Swerve Scott defeating him successfully. He also cuts a promo right after his match saying, hey, I never lost that Cruiserweight Championship at Worlds Collide, so I want, I'm looking for you, Jordan Devlin, so make sure you give me back my Cruiserweight Championship. And listen, Garza and Devlin, I am 100% in for that one. The Cruiserweight's kicking ass over on NXT. Looking forward to that. We have Dominic Dij uh, Dijakovic taking on Killian Dane in singles action. Now, unfortunately, this matchup was a little bit meh for me. Not so much because of uh, Dijakovic, but more for Killian Dane. And it's funny because I actually like Killian Dane. He's put on some very impressive matches in the past, but just particularly this last one just didn't click. Uh, Dijakovic coming off a, a huge victory here, defeating Killian Dane in singles action. And we actually find out it is confirmed that Dominic will indeed challenge Keith Lee for the Na uh, North American Championship at NXT TakeOver in Portland. Really looking forward to that matchup. It's going to be fun. The match with Killian Dane just it didn't, didn't quite click for me on this one. But what really did click for me this week on NXT was the very awesome uh, interview promo confrontation between Johnny Gargano and Finn Balor. Now, of course, they were on split screen and, of course, the awesome Mauro Ronaldo uh, doing the interviewing process. And it didn't take long for those two to go at it. And I love some of the, the quirks they had back and forth with Balor saying that Gargano will never be Balor. And Gargano's like, I don't want to be Balor. I'll be the first Johnny Gargano, the first Triple Crown champion and main evented more NXT takeovers than anybody else. Like, I don't want to be you. In fact, I don't even want to face, you know, the Balor from Raw and SmackDown that's lost to Bobby Lashley 17 times in a row. I want the NXT Balor. And it just, it was a, a very, very well done uh, tidbit about um, uh, going back and forth between the two of them. Awesome job. Loved everything about it and really made me more excited for the match, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, so I'm not gonna go into the whole thing, but trust me, you might wanna go check it out. Now, of course, we also had uh, confirmed for NXT TakeOver Portland, Tegan Knox will indeed take on Dakota Kai in a street fight. Uh, telling you, Portland's card is looking more and more stacked. But speaking of women's actions, we did see uh, Mercedes Martinez taking on Casey Catanzano in a pretty decent matchup. I want to say it was a squash, but eh, kind of close to it. Uh, great to see Martin uh, Mercedes Martinez in action. Very happy for her signing. Just was a little uh, weird they did it against Casey. Wouldn't have been my choice, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers here. Uh, of course, we did see uh, Champa going after the Undisputed Era outside in the ringside area as Undisputed Era throughout the entire evening was searching for Tommaso Champa, and they found him in the ring. Of course, it didn't take long for uh, Champa to get uh, the numbers game taken advantage on, but the Broserweights coming in to make the save, and our good old Commissioner William Regal saying, listen, not going to have it, not doing it this week. You guys want to sell it? We're going to have ourselves a six-man tag later on in the evening, which, hey, NXT's been killing it with multi-man tag team matches, so why not another one? Uh, something I also want to mention before we get too much further into the NXT review uh, was the latest signees to NXT that was announced. Uh, of course, Thomas Thatcher and Killer Cross. Now, if you guys don't know me, I'm a very big fan of Killer Cross. Uh, the man who was formerly in Impact Wrestling, kind of in wrestling limbo for a while. His girlfriend, uh, uh, Scarlett Bordeaux, was recently signed to NXT as well, so glad to see the couple in WWE. Uh, Cross has just some innate ability to create some very, very good promos. Uh, Thomas Thatcher, by the way, is also no joke either. Make sure you check out his stuff on the UK scene. He's had some very successful matches uh, with the likes of, I believe, Pete Dunne and Walter, if I'm not mistaken. And so those two are going to be great signings. I'm hoping to see Thomas Thatcher in UK soon. Killer Cross, I want to see him on NXT programming like tomorrow. Like, I really want to see him on there. But I was kind of, fingers crossed, I was going to, no pun intended, I was kind of hoping to see him on NXT programming this week, but it's a little too soon. I get it. 
But um, either way, very, very happy for those two signees. Uh, but Jordan Devlin, speaking of UK, defending the Cruiserweight Championship successfully against Tyler Breeze. Awesome match. It went a little longer than I expected it to. Not that I'm necessarily complaining, uh, but more specifically, really glad to see Tyler Breeze in action. Breeze is such a great performer, and I think that it, it's, it stinks that we're not showcasing his skills enough as it is. And I think this was a great example of reminding everybody just how good uh, Tyler Breeze can be. So great to see that matchup and uh, really cool to see him more in the Cruiserweight division. Next up, we did see the queen herself, Charlotte, actually showing up in full sail, of course, with an interesting uh, conversation with both Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair. Specifically, how I love that there was a moment where Charlotte and Rhea Ripley were face to face and Bianca was off to the side and Charlotte just slowly moved her hand, pushing Bianca out of the way as if she was completely irrelevant. Now, there was some back and forth between all three of them, but it didn't take long for Bianca and Ripley to drop uh, Charlotte with an electric chair, not an actual chair, but I mean the move, the electric chair, and claiming that we are NXT and the Queen is out. Now, I love this for a bunch of different reasons. The first be reason being that it did not squander Bianca Belair. It didn't squander the NXT TakeOver Portland match. It didn't just overshadow all of that. Charlotte still technically has not made her decision yet, which is another big thing. And at the end of the day, it made the NXT talent look great. So really, to me, it was a win across the board for all three of those reasons. So kudos to them on that one. Uh, of course, the main event, though, we saw was the six-man tag. It was the Undisputed Era against uh, the Broserweights and Tommaso Ciampa. Pretty solid six-man tag, all sorts of crazy action. But it doesn't take long for one Roderick Strong to ruin the whole soup, as, of course, he came in and just decked everyone, thus resulting in a disqualification. The numbers game taking their advantage until a familiar little video package showed up. Last week, I failed to mention there was a video package that showed the numbers 25 and 10, or excuse me, 25 and 2, to which, of course, everyone instantly resumed, oh, it's a date, February the 5th, which is the date that NXT was on. And a lot of people thought it might have been the return of Ember Moon, but she quickly dismissed that on social media. But instead, it was the return of Velveteen Dream. Ah, oh, how the crowd went nuts over Velveteen Dream's return to full sale, helping the babyfaces take out Undisputed Era to help close out the show. Awesome ending. Awesome, 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 awesome ending to uh, NXT this week. Fantastic. The main event match, eh, but the main event ending, ha, oh, was so great. It was fantastic. NXT did a very solid job this week, continuing the right storylines and kind of showcasing some, uh, some newer talent, too. I did like specifically the, excuse me, I did like the, the Broserweights kind of being more involved as a tag team. Portland's cards looking stacked. Garza, Devlin, Cruiserweight action. Women getting a very good spotlight. Again, beautifully handled with Charlotte involved there. I thought that was a very well-booked segment. Uh, overall, NXT was awesome this week, and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. But let me know your thoughts, what you guys liked about it, what you didn't like about it. Make sure you hit me up on social media and let me know. Uh, but before we roll into the last tidbit here on the show, I want to remind you guys of the awesome programming, of course, over on Fight TV. If you guys haven't checked out the awesome programming over on Fight TV, then what are you waiting for? Sign up for your free account now and get access to hundreds, thousands of hours of content from the boxing, MMA, and wrestling world. If you guys haven't checked out some of the cool stuff, too, there's some great wrestling content on there. Of course, you got NWA Hard Times, GCW Invaded Japan, and of course, New Japan Pro Wrestling New Beginnings. If you guys haven't checked out all that content on Fight, make sure you do so now. Sign up for your free account right now. And of course, certainly last but not least at all, we talk about NW, or sorry, AW, AEW, 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 that's right, AEW Dynamite. Coming at you from Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, we had a lot of interesting stuff going into this epic tag team match, and of course, the lashings. Oh boy, the lashings. But let's talk about Moxley versus Ortiz first. We had John Moxley versus uh, um, Ortiz from the Inner Circle. Uh, very well done contest. Even Ortiz looking pretty decent in defeat. However, it didn't end there. Santana actually making his way out to kind of, of course, jump John Moxley. Moxley doesn't take long to hit him with a paradigm shift and actually takes, and this is the part I really like here, he takes the car keys from the car that Jericho gave him and screams eye for an eye and stabs Santina in the eye with them. Uh, just wow. <laughs> just what a wow moment. Uh, awesome, uh, you know, revenge kind of thing. 
Uh, of course, we found out later on that Moxley will indeed face Santana next week on AEW Dynamite. But just wow, what a uh, <laughs> what a what a moment right there in and of itself. An awesome, awesome opening right there. We saw SCU taking on the best friends, of course, with Orange Cassidy. Uh, but we once again hear from the Dark Order. Dark Order immediately jump in the ring as soon as SCU gets the victory. And funny enough, Dark Order lays out everybody except for Orange Cassidy, which they actually offer him a mask to join. But Orange Cassidy ain't about that. He's not going to give them a thumbs up. And instead, they take him out too. Daniels actually leaves the ring to try to escape the chaos, and Dark Order actually halts and stops. They don't actually attack him this week, which just leaves Daniels all the more confused, which I don't blame him. I mean, the Dark Order stuff is hit or miss for me. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. I just want to see where the resolution ends, and maybe I'm just getting a little antsy. Normally, I'm the big fan of like, hey, let's draw this out as long as possible. And now I'm like, hmm, I kind of want to see where this goes. Is Daniels going to be revealed to be the, the master, or is he, or whatever the case may be. I don't know, just part of me gets a little impatient with this one. And maybe that's just me. Uh, Sakazaki coming back and actually defeating Britt Baker in singles action. However, it was the, not the greatest match ever, but the beatdown afterwards was a completely different story. Uh, Britt Baker actually decides to attack, um, to attack uh, Yuka right after the matchup, even making her bite the bottom rope and then doing a curb stomp, making her spit out blood and her teeth, which I thought was awesome considering, of course, if you didn't know this, by the way, Britt Baker's a dentist. Yeah. Weird, right? It's like I, you'd think they would mention that or something. But awesome, awesome moment, awesome segment, and I love everything about that because you could, I mean, it, it's better than Isaac Yakum, but it's it's kind of a way for her to, like, I'm going to break your teeth and blah, 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 because she's a dentist. I don't know, just something about the visual about that was just very, very, like, whoa, that was nuts. Speaking of nuts, insane in-ring action this week as we saw the Lucha Brothers teaming up with the Butcher and the Blade to take on uh, Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, and the Young Bucks. Now, I kind of figured uh, that the Bucks and Page and uh, Omega were probably going to lose, and that's exactly what happened here, which, of course, just leads to more tension. Page starts arguing with the Bucks, uh, Omega trying to be the one that plays like the, the referee in the middle of the whole thing, and uh, just storms off. And I'm telling you, the build for this, you know it's going to boil over, and you know it's going to eventually lead to a tag team match, that is probably going to be the Bucks versus Page and um, and Omega for the tag team titles. In fact, they announced in two weeks we're going to see a battle royal to determine the number one contenders for those tag team titles. So maybe that's actually what's going to happen. So we'll see. Uh, but it didn't end there. After we come back from the commercial break, Omega is actually in the ring and Pac is actually on the Titantron backstage with Rio, who is getting ready to do a contract signing. And he does this weird general jest and, and, and that he was going to possibly harm Rio unless he got the match with Omega. And finally, Omega's like, fine, 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 fine. In two weeks, we'll, we'll have a 30-minute Iron Man match. You got it. And Pac's like, fine. He goes, thank you for giving me what I want. And uh, by the way, he goes, I might, I might be a, a jerk, but, you know, I wouldn't put my hands on a woman. But she might, though. Which, of course, leads out to Nyla Rose coming in and beating down Rio and power bombing her, not through the table, but just onto the table. Seemingly that Nyla Rose might be the next one in line for the, uh, for the women's championship. Which, hey, listen, I think it was only a matter of time before Nyla was going to get her hands on the, that women's title again. So, uh, not bad. Not bad segment whatsoever. I actually really enjoyed that. Of course, we had uh, Kip Sabian defeating Joey Janela after some shenanigans with Penelope Ford and a handful of tights. Very solid matchup between the two. Um, and, of course, the, the main segment we have to talk about is the lashings. Now, this was a very well done segment. Very well done segment. I really enjoyed, um, I really enjoyed this. Not because of Cody getting the lashings, which if you haven't seen like the, the, the footage afterwards, oh, it, I, oof, like the bruises and the welts he got, it's, it, wow, that was just brutal stuff. But the, it wasn't just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There was built-up anticipation, and there was a like I felt anxious with this, and it was kind of different. And I compared a lot, obviously, and everybody at home usually did too, to the the Singapore Kane beatdown that Sandman gave Tommy Dreamer in ECW. But I felt this was handled with more weight to it because. You had like Dustin Rhodes coming out and having a confrontation. You had Brandy Rhodes coming out and having a confrontation. You had Arn Anderson. 
saying he didn't have to do this. Uh, you had Cody wanting to hit MJ. There, there was so much emotion into it. Uh, it was very, very well done. I like the little cameos from everybody coming in and trying to like stop the thing from happening or whatever have you. Um, but particularly the funniest part to me was finally when the last lash happened, MJF does a low blow and then gets the heck out of Dodge and runs right up the stairs. And an actual fan tried to jump MJF. Yes, an actual fan tried to jump him, which means you know he is doing his job very, very well. And again, the emotion going into it and the, and the build up for everything just made me want to get that match even more. But in two weeks, we know it's going to be Cody. We know it's going to be Wardlow. We know it's going to be a steel cage. So awesome ending to AEW. It's hard to say which one won it for me. The ratings haven't come out yet as of this recording, but I think that AEW had uh, a better balance overall. I mentioned la last week how there was proper balance in uh, in, the, in the matches and in the, in the programming in general. I just think that they did an excellent job. So kudos to them on that one. AEW doing another killer show. But... That's just my thought on everything, folks. I want to hear what you guys have to say. Let me know your thoughts on this week's wrestling talk. What did you thought of SmackDown, Raw, NWA Power, NXT, AEW, and anything else going on? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments if you guys are watching this on social media, chat, wherever, Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, wherever you guys want to tell me. Let me know your thoughts. I always love to hear from you guys. Make sure you also check us out over on OKFabe.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I appreciate the continued love and support. Take care, and as always... Take it easy.